Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. If you looked at the place we start this morning for the triennial reading on Heb Cal, um, we're not going to start there. We're going to start a little bit earlier because it doesn't really make sense to jump in at, at a really weird middle part of the beginning of the story of Rivka. We are studying the story of Rebecca this morning. Um, and so it really, it doesn't make much sense to start at verse 10 of chapter 24. So we're going to start at verse one of chapter 24 of the book of Genesis. If you have a Bible, a Hebrew Bible, a Hebrew English Bible somewhere, you might want to grab it because we're going to reference the way Bibles are printed, but they don't do it in English. They don't do what we're going to talk about in English. They only do it in the Hebrew. So if you can find, if you have a Hebrew English Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 24, and we'll see the places where we're going to have what's called a Kriktiv. So Kriktiv, Kri means read. Ktiv means write or written. So the Greek Ktiv is that it's written in the Torah a certain way. But when you read the Torah out loud, you're supposed to read it the way they write the word in the margin. This is done by the Masoretes. The Masoretes are the ones who vocalized the Hebrew text. So in other words, Hebrew is a, is a um, consonantal language. And other than like hey, aleph, vav, that it's most, it's all, and aleph, it's all consonants. So the Masoretes are the one who came in and put in the vowels that we see in a printed Torah. So we call it the Masoretic text. What we read is the Masoretic text. Okay. So the Masoretes come in and vocalize the Hebrew text. And they also made a few notes when the, when the written Torah scroll word doesn't match how you're supposed to read it. Okay? So that's a creek teeth. When you read it out loud, when you're chanting Torah, you read it a different way than it's written in the scroll. But that's not written in the scroll, obviously. That's only written in um, a Tanakh, in a in a printed copy, right, of the, of the Hebrew text. All right, so in the story of Rivka, we have five kriktiv that occur, five. So sometimes a kriktiv happens because of a scribal error. So scribes, cop- scribes. scribes copy, <laughs> I can't talk, scribes copy the Torah text from a copy, but if you take a yud and it gets a little too long, a yud can look exactly like what? Vav. Okay. Right? A yud can look like a vav if the yud gets too long. So there are lots of letters that when they get copied, not lots, but I mean, there are some letters that when they get copied, we think an error happens and that error gets preserved in every other copy. So when that happens, you that's one case for a kriktiv, is that there's, there's just a scribal error, and it gets copied over and over and over again, and the Masoretes, rather than change what has become canonical, rather than change it, because now it's canonized, you write it in the margin in your printed copy. So that's how the kriktiv happens sometimes. Um but it doesn't make a lot of sense for a scribal error to occur five times in the same chapter, right? Like Pam's with me. So yes, it happens. And, and I'm not saying it couldn't happen five times in the Torah, but five times for the same scribal error, the same one to happen in a Parsha does not, does not make any sense at all. So we're going to look at this special case of Creek Teeth in the case of Rebecca. Many of you already know what it is, um, but the rest of you are just going to have to stay tuned. Okay. 
So we are. Um, so remember where we are in the patriarchal narratives. We 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 have had Abraham promised progeny, and he's been promised the land, and he's been promised that his natural son would would propagate a people that would be as numerous as the sands of the of the what do you call it the beach? I don't know, like this. this grains of sand and um, stars in the sky. So that's what he's been promised. He finally has Isaac. Bum, 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 bum. This is the big moment that we understand that the promise is going to be fulfilled, right? We have a natural born son of Abraham and Sarah, because remember he had Ishmael, so who was going to be his heir. So once Hagar and Ishmael are, depending on how you want to talk about it, banished or freed. Remember, we talked about it a few years ago. We talked about if she changes her, if, if the heir changes, then the slave who had the first heir has to be freed. So Hagar and Ishmael are freed. Um, and because Isaac is the natural born issue of Sarah and Abraham, and he is going to be the heir to the patriarchate. And so the patriarch has everything set up to finally have the promises begin to be fulfilled, except he can't have offspring as numerous as the sands or the stars if Isaac isn't married, right? So the, the, the next link in the chain of the promise being fulfilled, which is what these stories are all about, it's about God's promise and God's fulfilling of these promises, but they've set it up to be super dramatic, right? That he doesn't have a child until so late in life, blah, blah, blah. But there's Ishmael, what's going to happen? Oh my gosh, then he's got to sacrifice his son, blah, blah, blah. Right, so it's very dramatic. So now we have to have a wife for Isaac so that this, the, so that the story can truly continue. One thing I want to point out that's, that's interesting that you wouldn't know if you don't study this stuff um, is that the blessing given to Yaakov, Jacob, is that he will inherit the land, right? This promise is given to Yaakov. Um, the, the blessing given to Abraham is that he will inherit the gates of his enemy. This is the same promise given to Rivka when her family blesses her as she goes on her way. And the commentators say, Isaac is kind of the weak link in the middle between Abraham and Rebekah. That it is Rebekah who's given that blessing, just as Abraham was. That Isaac is just not, inherit is too strong a word for Isaac. He just kind of is there. Um, he's a bridge, if you will, but that, that the, the, direct, the direct link between the promise and it being fulfilled and how that's going to happen is from Abraham to Rivka. So I, I just want to set that in your head as we start looking at the story of Rebecca. Um, the, the commentators from, from, from way before medieval times see Rivka as the one uh, who is the, link, the, the strong link in the chain between Abraham and the generation after Isaac and Rebecca, which is, uh, which is Yaakov. Okay but I don't want to confuse us. All right. So like Sarah and Abraham, Rebecca is going to have to travel to come to where they're living. Isaac was born there and has never left there. He never leaves there. Um, Rivka is going to make the same journey that Abraham and Sarah themselves made from Mesopotamia to Canaan. Okay. So, so we'll look for that too in our story. Any questions so far? Dana, go ahead. Rivka's father is Abraham's brother, correct? Uh, no. no. Yes, Nahor. Nahor is. Okay, so but there's Abraham's brother. But there's wait, there's 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 so there's a lot there. But um, okay, no, I just want to say yeah, that that would in, that would infer a line, a bloodline, kind of. Yes. Yeah, so absolutely. To Abraham. So the question is. Is the bloodline a double bloodline? So we see Abraham say that Sarah is his sister, right? Remember the text where Sarah is described as, um, I'm showing you a family tree. So this is the line of Terah, right? So um, 
Terach seems to be the, like, I think we've lost Terach's story. Thank you, Bert. We've lost Terach's story. You, we only have the remnants of it. But so you see here the family tree of Terach. So it's important for some scholars that Sarah is also descended from Terach, that she is, we're told in Torah that she is the daughter of Abraham's father, but not his mother. And that in some traditions in the ancient world, those were not considered full siblings and they were, and they were eligible as, as mates. If you were half siblings through the father, you couldn't be through the mother and marry. So, so some people want to make Sarah also um, descended from Terach, right? Because, okay. So, what am I saying? All right. So, so yeah. So here's here's Nahor and Abraham. So they, so he he's sending. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. All right. Let, let's look at the text so we can see. Let's look at chapter 24, which is an interesting verse that the commentators spend a lot of time on, but we're not going to. Um, but it's an interesting verse in that it says, So Abraham is old. He's come into a lot of days. And it says, blessed Abraham in coal, in everything, which is an interesting statement to say in Parshat Chaye Sarah, where Sarah's just died. Right, Sarah died. Um, it, it's so it's just it's an interesting. He has a child very late in life. He's, you know, now his wife's gone. Um, it, it's the the commentators have a lot to say about like well, what does that mean? Blessed him in all things when it doesn't look like necessarily his his life was so necessarily amazing, particularly in this part. All right, Vayomer Avraham el Avdo. Okay, so Abraham says to his servant who had charge over everything, right? It's his right-hand guy. So what does Abraham say to him? Put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. This is a theme in Torah, that we don't want a Canaanite wife. Do you remember? Rivka's going to say, Right, Rivka's going to say this about her son, that she doesn't want her son marrying uh, one of the Canaanite uh, women. The, 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 the appropriate wife for Yitzchak is going to come from Abraham's own family. So go to the land of my birth and get a wife for my son, Isaac. And the servant said, what if the woman does not consent to follow me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the land from which you came? So shall I take Isaac there to go fetch a wife? And Abraham says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You are not to take my son there. So the God of, so Yudhe the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my native land, who promised me on oath saying, I will assign this land to your offspring, will send an angel before you and you will get a wife from my, for my son from there. And if the woman does not consent to follow you, you shall then be clear of this oath to me, but do not take my son back there. So if the woman doesn't agree to come, then then the servant is free of his his oath to Abraham. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore to him as bidden. So remember that the thigh, putting your hand under the thigh is putting your hand in proximity to the member that makes for progeny. So we're talking about an oath about progeny. So Abraham's servant puts his hand under Abraham's thigh. This puts it in proximity is how he's going to get offspring, right? So this is, this is about swearing in a way that is serious, right? That you're, you're, you're swearing on essentially, right? Your master's, genitalia that and 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 that's the symbol of of propagation so and him being fruitful and and all these other things are supposed to happen for him so um right this is just how we we've talked about right testify comes from testes 
that you, you put your hand on your testicles to swear in court. It's the same idea that you, you are swearing by that which is most precious to you. And so Eliezer understands that this is very, very serious for Abraham. So the servant took 10 of his master's camels. That's a lot. That's a lot. And set out, taking with him all the bounty of his master. And he made his way to Aram Naharaim, to the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down by the well outside the city at evening time. Come out to draw water. Who comes out to draw water? Who is among the women that come out to draw water? Nubile, young women who are of marriageable age. The married women are doing other stuff often. Um, so it is, it is your 13 and 14-year-old girls who are sent to draw the water. Um, we should note that the well that we're talking about is not the well that is a shaft that goes straight down and a bucket dropped in. That is very much a European, right, more advanced, not more advanced, just, it, it's just not, it's not how they did it in the ancient Near East. So in the ancient Near East, it would have been a shaft that was built on a um, slant and the women would go down and fill their, their things with water and come back up. So that's, that's how they're drawing water. And he said, Yudhe God of my master Avraham, grant me good fortune this day and deal graciously with my master Avraham. Here I stand by the spring as the daughters of the townsmen come out to draw water. Let the maiden to whom I say, please lower your jar that I may drink, and who replies, drink, and I will also water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have decreed for your servant Isaac. Thereby shall I know that you have dealt graciously with my master. So it is the servant, Eliezer, who puts on God the condition, right? Like, make this easy for me, please. Right? How am I supposed to pick? How am I supposed to know? Like, so when I ask, you know, may I have a drink, please lower your jar. If you want to deal graciously with my master, Abraham, please let the one who's supposed to come with me answer, okay, drink, and I will also water your camels. And we'll talk more about, about this. He had scarcely finished speaking when Rebecca, here's the narrator whispering in our ear. So this is parenthetical. This is a, a stage whisper who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor, da, 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 came out with her jar on her shoulder. Wait, why is this so important? Because the omniscient narrator is telling us she's from Abraham's family. Right. The maiden was very beautiful, of course, right? This is a sign. Oh, no. This is a sign of divine favor. Remember, being beautiful in the Bible is uh, is a sign of divine favor. A verse, she's a bitula, and she is someone who has not known a man. From this, we know that bitula translated about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Bitula does not mean virgin. That is a mistranslation. This is proof. Bitula, she's a bitula, meaning she's unmarried. She is not betrothed, and she's not known a man. So if Betula meant virgin, it would not need to add in our text who had not known a man. It would just say she was a Betula. So that is a mistranslation about Mary, the mother of Jesus. She was an unmarried young woman. All right. So Rivka is not only unmarried, she is chaste. So she's beautiful. And she's chaste. It does not get, and from the right family, it does not get better than this in the Torah, my friends. She's from the right family. She's eligible and she's chaste. So it means she comes from a good family and she follows the rules and she understands what's expected of her. Okay, perfect. The servant ran toward her and said, please let me sip a little water from your jar. Now he's waiting. What is she going to say? Drink, my lord, she said, and she quickly lowered her jar upon her hand and let him drink. When she had let him drink his fill, she said, wait for it. I will also draw water for your camels until they finish drinking. Yay! It's the right one. Now, this may sound like, okay, 
that, that's a nice detail. But Eliezer is looking for somebody who is hospitable, right? He's a stranger. Do we remember a story recently about how people treat strangers? This is the exact opposite of the Sodom and Gomorrah story. Rivka is the opposite of Sodom and Gomorrah. She is hospitable. She is kind. She cares about the camels. She wants to make it easy for this visitor. I'll draw water for your 10 camels until they finish drinking. They've just finished a journey. When you have finished a long car trip and you're going to fill up your tank with gas, it takes a lot more gas than if you just went to the grocery store. So she knows he's been journeying and she's ready to draw enough water for all of his camels. That is a lot of water. That's a lot of running down the well and running back up with a full jug of water, running back down, coming back up, running back down, this on and on and on and on and on until she's watered 10 camels. This is a huge thing that she's offering here. Quickly emptying her jar into the trough, she ran back to the well to draw and she drew for all his camels. So not only is she willing to do this, she's running, right? She's strong. She's, she's enthusiastic about being hospitable. She is energetic. She is running to do things. Abraham like rushes to, to fulfill things. The Eliezer just rushed right over to her. So this, this hurry and rushing business is, is about excitement and enthusiasm. The man, meanwhile, stood gazing at her, silently wondering whether Adonai had made his errand successful or not. I don't know exactly what he's waiting for, but it's like, hello, she had the right answer. But he doesn't know what family she's from. He doesn't know some things that he needs to know. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold nose ring weighing a half shekel and two gold bands for her arms, 10 shekels in weight. Pray tell me, he said. So he's, he's taken out some pretty nice gifts, which means he's wealthy. You don't come with 10 camels laden with stuff if you're not wealthy. But then he shows her a nose ring and bracelets, right? This is, he's tempting her, like on some level, and says, pray tell me, whose daughter are you? Is there room in your father's house to spend the night? She replied, dun, 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 dun. I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. So I am from Abraham's family, essentially. And she went on. There is plenty of straw and feed at home and also room to spend the night. The, ma the man bowed low in homage to yud heh vav -Hey. All right, so his mission is successful. She, interestingly enough, first of all, she's going to show him hospitality. Again, this is over and against what we just read about Sodom and Gomorrah. She's going to take him home, and she says, there's plenty of room for you. You can imagine he's with a retinue. He's got people with him. You don't have 10 camels by yourself, right? He's got, he's got a retinue. She's going to put them up. And she's saying there's plenty of straw to feed your 10 camels and whatever else you have with you, right? Who, who gave her that authority? She's a 14-year-old girl at a well. She's not married. And she's offering to put up at her family estate, her family home, 10 camels and a retinue of people who she doesn't know. We take this for granted. We read right over this, but think about that, that she speaks up and offers hospitality and offers room and feed for this many animals and people is remarkable. Remarkable. Is it the family she comes from? Is that how they treat their young women? Is it that Rivka is just that confident and strong and that anxious to be hospitable? Did she really, really, really like the jewelry she saw? Um, all right, so we, we can imagine lots of things, but we have to think about it. You have to ask the question, really? It's a little chutzpah in a good way. All right, and he said, blessed be you, the God of my master, Abraham, who was not withheld his steadfast faithfulness from my master, for I've been guided on my errand by you, to the house of my master's kinsmen. Vataratz Hanaar. All right, look in your book. 
Look in your Torah at Genesis chapter 24, verse 28. Vataratz ha we get the Masoretic vocalization, na'ara. That is not what is written. Right, Barry? Tell him I'm telling the truth. Uh, it says na'ara, yes. It says na'ara. Na'ara. There's na'ara. a kamatz there. That's the Masoretic vocalization of the text. Take away the vowels and what do you have? Hana'ar, the youth. Barry jumps yes. on yes. the Masoretic text because he knows she can't be a na'ar. She, that's a male youth. She is a na'ar. She is a female youth. That is not what the text says. The text says na'ar. You have a creek teeth. The ktiv, what's written, is na'ar. You're supposed to read, and it should show you in the margin, what you're supposed to read is na'ara with a hay. The hay that makes na'ar feminine is not here. This occurs five times. So the question that even the medieval commentators ask is, it can't be a scribal error that the hay is missing. Maybe once, yes, okay. But every other time she's described as a na'ar without the feminizing hay, what is going on? And even the medieval commentators had to deal with this question because it doesn't make, it's not at all plausible that the scribes made the error five times, right? That she's called a male youth. It just doesn't, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not believable. Okay, so... We can talk, we're going to talk towards the end a little more about what this means, but I want you to take that in, that she's called a na'ar. She's strong. She is clearly um, has her own mind and speaks her own mind. She acts with authority and alacrity, um, and she's described as a male youth. Okay. So, vataratz ha so we're going to read the way the Masoretes correct the Hebrew text that she runs to tell Veit Ima, the, the household of her mother, all of these things. So she is strong. She's independent. She speaks for herself. She speaks with authority. She's strong enough to water 10 camels on her own, but she's still a 13-year-old girl, right? She, he's, this stranger comes to town. He's coming home with her. She needs to get there first. First of all, she needs to get home to say, uh, mom, <laughs> I have something I need to tell you. Uh, Guess what? We're, we're having company, right? So she's got to get home to let them know what's happening. But also she's excited. Some strangers come to town with a huge caravan of Mercedes and filled with stuff and has shown her a nose ring and bracelets, which she's assuming are intended for her. So she runs home. What's interesting, of course, is she runs to tell Veit Ima, the, the household of her mother. So the question becomes, where is her father? We don't know. Um, Rabbi? Yes, sir. Um, I heard from my Bedouin friends down south uh, that usually the girls when they meet someone they want to marry or someone has asked them something they go to their mother because their father is obliged to say no it's like a custom so they go to their mothers to increase the chances that they say yes well that's an interesting theory except it's lavan who has to give permission right like like we're gonna see right here here's here's lavan so Rivka had a brother. And then the mother goes to the father and convinces him. <laughs> so in the absence of a father, it is the brother who arranges marriages. So it is possible her father is not here. Because it is Lavan who comes out to meet the guy. Right? All right. And we know what's going to happen with Lavan, don't we? Later. Right? Remember? What's going to happen with Lavan? So this is Rivka's brother, Lavan who runs out to meet the guy. And when he saw the nose ring and the bands on his sister's arms, 
So she's been given the jewelry. And when he heard his sister Rebecca say, thus the man spoke to me, he went up to the man who was still standing beside the camels at the spring. So Lavan spots immediately the gold on her arms and, and, and the nose ring that we are, we've already been told is worth half a shekel, right? So this is not cheap stuff. So he sees Tiffany, Tiffany's in her nose and on her arms and says, huh, right? right? And, um, and goes to talk to the dude at the spring. And what does he say? Come in, O blessed of Yudhevav, hey? Why do you remain outside when I have made ready the house and a place for the camels? So the man entered the house and the camels were unloaded. The camels were given straw and feed and water was brought to bathe his feet and the feet of the men with him. This is how you welcome someone in the ancient Near East. You welcome them to your home uh, by, by washing their feet. Um, this is a sign of welcome and a sign that you are now protected by this family, you are officially their guest. And as we know, that was taken super seriously. Even at the risk of your own life, you would protect this person. So we have designed uh, a ritual. This is the way we welcome baby girls into the covenant. Now, many people choose to do a foot washing for their baby girls, um, which is just a very sweet ritual. Um, I have people bring water from places that are special to them. Uh, and pour it into the bowl, and then the baby's feet are washed with that, and people offer her blessings based on um, this special place they brought the water from, um, but it's so that we can welcome her into the covenant and know that she will be protected and taken care of. All right, another creek teeth, the first word of 33, right? So it should be vayusam, but you can see we have vav, yud, yud, Sin Mem. So another case of Kriktiv. This one seems to be a scribal error. That that's, that second Yud should have been above. So that it reads Vayusam. But possibly just over time, the Vav gets shortened and it's copied as a Yud. That makes perfect sense. So food was set before him, right? This is the passive passive. That's why it should be Vayusam. Uh, food was set before him. He said, I will not eat until I have told my tale. He said, speak then. I am Avraham's servant, he began. The Lord has greatly blessed my master. He has become rich. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male and female slaves, camels and asses. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore my master a son in her old age, and he has assigned to him everything he owns. So, there is one heir. There's no rivalries. There's not going to be anything shared. One heir. My master is wealthy. He has one uncontested heir of his own body. So there's not going to be born, right? Another one. Um, or and Remember, we, you can have an adopted heir. He was going to adopt his servant as his heir. But God says, no, you're not going to have to do that. Um, but, it, but it assures Lavan that that this is not an adopted heir who could be replaced by a natural born son. This is Abraham's natural born son who is his heir and he's getting everything when Abraham dies. Now my master made me swear saying you shall not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house to my kindred and get a wife for my son. This is from the servant's mouth. This goes back to the story in the garden Abraham, in our version, did not say that. He just said, go get a wife from, right, where I come from. So Eliezer is adding this part about, you shall get a wife from my father's house, from my kindred. All right, so did Abraham say that? We just don't have that part of the story. Um, we don't know. All right, so he's retelling the story in his own words that he wants it to be from his family uh, and that the family should agree to the marriage. Because he said, what if the woman does not follow me? He replied to me, Yudhei whose ways I have followed, will send his angel with you and make your errand successful and you will get a wife from my son, from my kindred, from my father's house. Thus, only shall you be freed from my adjuration. If when you come to my kindred, they refuse you, only then 
shall you be freed from essentially this, this promise. I came today to the spring and I said, God of my master Abraham, if you would indeed grant success to the errand on which I am engaged, as I say this my wallet, the young woman, let me drink, you may drink, let me water your cattle, your your camels. I had scarcely finished praying in my heart when Rivka came out with her jar on her shoulder and went down to the spring and drew. And as I said to her, please give me drink, she lowered and said, Let me also water for your camels. I inquired of you, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, whom Milka bore to him. And I put the ring on her nose and the bands on her arms, right? So not until he knew who she was, he would not give gifts to just anybody. He waited to find out who she was before uh, he gave her the jewelry. I bowed low in homage to Yudhe Buffet and blessed Yudhe Buffet, the God of my master Avram, who led me on the right way to get the daughter of my master's brother for his son. And now if you mean to treat my master with true kindness, tell me. And if not, tell me also that I may turn right or left. Then Lavan and Betuel, now we have Betuel, answered, the matter was decreed by Yudhe Buffet. We cannot speak to you bad or good. All right. So we take this for granted because we know Yudhe right? But it's interesting that they immediately say, right, this is from Yudhe Vafe, Yatsahadavar, does the thing come. So this family acknowledges Yudhe Vafe. Now, is it the only God they acknowledge? Do they acknowledge other gods and Yudhe Vafe? That certainly is common in the ancient world, right? Um, but it is interesting that this family is connected in some way to Yudhe Bafe. Here is Rivka before you. Take her and go and let her be a wife to your master's son as Yudhe Bafe has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed low to the ground before Yudhe Bafe. I'm, I'm just going to go on a little bit because I, I think this is important. So they brought out objects of silver and gold. Like the, the family has agreed to the marriage. So now she can be given all of the appropriate gifts that a wealthy suitor would give to, would give to the, the intended, to the one who's going to be betrothed, to the, to the bride, and to her mother, right? They're not stupid, right? Give it to her and to her mom. Then he had the men eat and drink, of course, and spend the night. There's going to be a feast. They've just made a deal. They've just promised their daughter to, to this Abraham guy. So they're going to have festivities. When they arose the next morning, however, he said, give me leave to go to my master. He's excited to get back home. He wants to get her back home. But her brother and her mother said, let the maiden remain with us some 10 days. Then you may go. Because they're saying, excuse me. You know how long it takes to find the right dress? Have you never watched this show? This could take a long time. We have to find the dress. We have to get her hair done. She needs a mani-pedi. Oh, my God. She's going to have to have a facial. We have to get the photographer. We haven't. We, so, and she deserves a part. Like she, needs, she, she should be feted. In the ancient world, brides were feted for about a week. So there's a lot that's expected for her, that he's asking her to just go, they're like shocked. They're like, no, that can't be. And he says, do not delay me now that Yodai Vave has made my errand successful. Give me leave that I may go to my master. And what did they say? Let us call the girl and ask for her reply. Now, why? Was that the tradition in the ancient Near East to ask a 13-year-old, are you ready to go? Are you ready to give up your party? Are you ready to give no. up, say yes to the dress? Like, is that, is that the custom where they come from? Maybe. Maybe they knew Rivka acts like a na'ar, not like a na'ara. And if you think for five seconds you're going to tell Rivka what to do, you got another thing coming. <laughs> They're like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> We're going to have to ask her what she thinks. Because you try to tell Rivka she's not going to have a, an engagement party. What? Like, right, you may be in for a world of trouble. Possible. So they called Rivka and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will. Okay, you're missing the Hebrew. This is important, I think. This is really, um, it's not just me. I mean, the commentators pointed out, but I really agree. Verse 58. They called to Rivka. 
Vayomru eleha. And they say to her, meaning they ask her, Hatelchi im ha'ish Will you go with this man? Vatomer. And she said, Elech. I will lech. I will go. What was the call to Abraham and Sarah? Lech lecha. God commands, God calls Abraham, lech lecha. Right? Here, we have the exact same language, but used of Rebecca on her own. It is her own initiative. She is Abraham. Do you see this? I think this is really powerful, really powerful, and it gets skipped over all the time. Hatelchi, will you lech? Vatomer, and she says, Elech, I will lech. She makes the choice. She makes the decision to leave her birth family, to go to the outpost of Yemensville with this guy, to marry someone sight unseen, which is not that uncommon back then, of course. But still, she has no idea. She's young. She's leaving everybody who would protect her. Elech, I will go. She is strong. She is brave. She is courageous. She is eager. She is beautiful. She is chaste. It does not get better than this, right? And she is very much like Avraham. So they sent off their sister Rivka and her nurse. This was common practice in a wealthy family was to give the, the nurse that has taken care of you your whole life, given to you as your servant when you marry, right? That she takes her, her body slave, her, her servant, her personal servant, her nursemaid, her nanny. She takes her nanny with her as her own property. And they bless Rivka and they say to her, oh sister, may you grow into thousands of myriads. May your offspring seize the gates of their foes. Okay, this is right, like I said, the same bracha given to a patriarch is given to Rivka. Rebecca and her maids arose, mounted the camels, and followed the man. So the servant took Rivka and went on his way. All right, so um, so Abraham is promised, right, is given the bracha by God after the Akedah, after the binding of Isaac, um, that um, you should... Uh, your seed will inherit its enemy's gates. Rivka's family offers her that same blessing. Um, and Yaakov is told that he will inherit the land. Um, so the, 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 this language is used about everybody except Isaac. So this is you know, another indication that Rivka uh, is the one that is the, the strong uh, inheritor of, uh, of the promise of progeny of land. Amy, I had a quick question. Yeah. About um, and Bert was messenger made a note too. In in the women's commentary and in an Aim and JPS, those words, those four words, the krektiv, krektiv that you yeah. talked about. Yeah. You know they're they're uh, printed smaller and in a gray print versus all the other printing in the, this you know the Torah. So yeah. does that mean whenever I'm looking in the women's commentary, I will, if that word is printed small and grayed out, it's because it's one of these creek teeth? Yes. Errors? Yes. Okay. So whenever you see that gray word, um, it, it is a, it is a Cree. It's what you're supposed to read. I just unmuted. Good, Sarah. I wanted to say that the thing that's so different and outstanding about this story is the way this young woman acts. Now, Miriam was in charge of water. Um, That was an important role, but kind of limited. This is sort of a whole picture of a modern woman that's already there right. old century that's right that's right and, and it is, it is remarkable the story is remarkable right in how it represents rivka as right as and so whenever people want to talk about women in the hebrew bible being weak 
and being, you know, manipulated by the patriarchs and the patriarch has complete power over her. Yes, that's true. That's the way the world was in the ancient Near East. The patriarch had absolute control of everybody in the household. Absolutely. No doubt. Torah does not have mealy-mouthed matriarchs. (laughs) Right? These matriarchs are independent. They're strong. They're active. They, it, Rivka's going to decide which of her sons inherits. So does Sarah. They decide. Avraham didn't pick Ishmael. Sarah did. Right? Rivka's going to decide her younger son. The younger twin is going to inherit over the older twin, completely turning over the laws of the ancient Near East inheritance system. Completely. So these women are strong, active, independent, willful women who make happen you know, what, what they think needs to happen in the family. They do that the only way they can, right, which is to manipulate the patriarch. But it's Rivka's idea to have Isaac dress up as Esav and steal the blessing from Isaac. She tricks her own husband into giving the, the blessing to the son that she wants to inherit. <clears throat> All right, so I'm going to read you what I can't show you on my screen from a book called Torah Queries, which is a queer commentary on the Torah. And it says, perhaps the fact that the word is made into a creative, given the very good reasons for having called Rebecca a Na'ar in the first place, reflects an ambiguity inherent in the word itself one that embodies a deeper truth about the emergence of gender identity. Could it be that anun ayin resh, whether pronounced na'ar or na'ar, is a youth recently pubescent whose gender resists categorization and whose identity has yet to be forced into a rigid binary system? If so, then by preserving the Masoretic tradition, have we unintentionally lost a significant insight preserved by the Bible itself? Meaning the Masoretes correct Nun Ayan Resh to be Na'ara because she's female. And what the, this comment, what this author is suggesting, is it possibly we have in the Bible itself the idea that, that a Na'ar is a pubescent teenager who who doesn't have a rigid binary gender identity yet. Does that make sense? The, 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 the Masoretes correct it because it's grammatically can't be that she's a Na'ar. But what if there is built into that term in the ancient world a sense that they're not yet gender rigidly binary? Okay. There is also a long tradition of deriving additional meaning from a creative the Malbim understood the Cree to be the interpretation, the drash on the word, and the Kativ as its literal meaning, the Pshat. Using the Na'ar Na'ara example, this might mean that an individual's physiology, right, the literal, might point to one end of the gender continuum, but that person's lived experience, the drash, the interpretation is elsewhere on it. The assertion, only radical when applied to gender, that the way people appear and the way they are inside might not be aligned is directly reflected in Rav Soloveitchik's understanding of Kriktiv. He associates the Kri with a person's exterior public self, while the Kativ is more the interior or emotional life. Combining these two perspectives, Rebecca may have been physiologically and emotionally more of a na'ar while presenting to the world the image of and making people read her as a na'ara. Indeed, that seems to be how the servant sees her and exactly what he is looking for in an ideal partner for Isaac, a human manifestation of the divine gift of gender that is given to each of us in full spectrum. So, so this Uh, The person who wrote this article, Rachel Brody, is suggesting, based on traditional commentary, that the creek teeth might be what's outwardly presented and then what is inward, what is the drash on that, right? So 
Like people who have really good gaydar pick up that I'm gay really quickly, right? Yes, I present as an ultra femme, fine, you know, whatever. But people who can read the inside <laughs> read that I'm gay. Like there's there's a there's a there's a disconnect between how I present to the world and my inner personality. And this may be exactly what the servant was looking for: a beautiful, white, right, acceptable beautiful appearing uh, na'ara, female, but the inside was a na'ar, right? Someone once described me saying, yeah, Amy, she wears lace, but if you scratch her, there's leather, right? So that she, she inside is, is tough and strong and independent and not going to be pushed around. And so her outsides and insides, outside she's a na'ara, inside she's a na'ar. And that this is what Isaac needs. That Eliezer is looking for somebody, Davka, who has the strength that Isaac lacks. That Isaac just, he needs a really strong woman um, in his life. And, and, and if you really look at the story of Isaac, there isn't a lot there, right? There's, there's not a lot there. And we think we might have lost a lot of the Isaac material. A lot of the Isaac tradition is gone. Perhaps the people for whom Isaac was a patriarch, you know, fell out of favor and fell out of power. And so his stories are not preserved. We don't know. But, but nothing else was put in there either, right? Isaac is a kind of a, a nothing figure. And if you think of him after the Akedah, after the binding, you can understand, right? His father was ready to kill him. And the tradition is filled with what that means for Isaac, right? But, but it's clear, it's clear that Isaac needs, or at least clear to some people, it's clear that Isaac really needs someone like Rivka to come in and, and take charge. If this family's gonna have a successful next generation, it's gonna take a Rivka. And like I said, it's Rivka who decides that Yaakov should inherit. It's she who tricks Isaac out of giving it to Esau. And we call ourselves what? B'nai Yisrael, the descendants of Israel. That is Jacob. And that happened. We are B'nai Yisrael because of Rivka. We are the descendants of the patriarch Israel only because Rivka tricked Isaac into making Yisrael the patriarch. We cannot underestimate how important a figure Rivka is when we think of the lineage, when we think of the, the inheritance, and we think of the promise, and we think of who we become as a people. It is because of Rivka and her decision and her assessment that Yaakov, Yisrael, was the one that we were supposed to descend from. So uh, I leave you with that image from our very old texts uh, that simply refu uh, just refutes in every way that uh, women in the Bible, women in the Torah are somehow less than or weak uh, or not as important as the men. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website www.ourki.org